right, welcome to another edition of Conversations of the Heart. Um, as always, it's your boy T. Till. Special guest here in the building, Dr. Charles Ross. Um, now, Dr. Ross has, you know, a lot of accolades. Um, you know, really good, really good, good guy here. Um, had a good chance to speak speak with him briefly the other day. Um, very Im- impressed. Um, and I listened to the wisdom um that he imparts um in, in the gems that he drops whenever um the last time he got a chance to talk. Um, but he is a, I'm just going to read off here because I can't remember all the, the accolades uh, here, sir. Um, but uh, he is a retired Georgia educator um, dealing with at-risk uh, students. Uh, he taught in Gwinnett, Delcab, and, and Rockdale counties um, at Capella University. He holds a doctor of philosophy degree in education, a master's degree in teaching from Western uh, Governors uh, University, and a bachelor's degree in radio, TV, and film uh, from the University of Georgia. He's also a vice president of investments at Wells Fargo. Uh, he created and hosted a, the nationally syndicated radio show, Your Personal Finance, uh, which for 20 years aired uh, in over 20, in over 100 radio stations across the country, reaching 5 million people each week and was heard locally uh, on WVEE uh, FM um, and WAOK uh, AM. Um, so, um, while he was also, uh, a personal finance columnist for the Atlanta journal, uh, constitution, he also authored, uh, two books, um, on personal finance. One is called your common sense guide to personal finance planning and God's plan for your financial success. Um, also an ordained minister in the African Methodist, um, Episcopal church. Uh, he is a former, uh, executive pastor and chief financial officer of New Bethel AME Church and finance chair uh, for Ben Hill, a United Methodist Church, uh, born and raised in the Bronx, New York, my my favorite city, New York City, where I was born and raised. Um, but most importantly, um, he is the father of four daughters, girl dad, and is also uh, married uh, to uh, his lovely wife, Felicia, Felicia Ross. A um, lot there. A lot there. I'm you tired know. just listening to all this, man. You know, certain bios I can just memorize, and I just I'm, I'm good. You know, quick, fast, right? This one I said I gotta read this one because I don't want to miss one thing. You've okay. done a lot in 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 your life, sir, and congratulations on all of your su- success. Um, so I'm gonna get into all of or touch on some of your uh, your accolades in in just a few minutes. But the most important thing to me, um. Husband, father, girl, dad. Um, so, give me a little bit about the process, right? So, what I want, I want to know is your first daughter, right? What was it like when you found out that you were having your first child, and you found out that she was a daughter? Like, were you scared? I know some some men tell me, "I was scared, I was shook, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, what what was going to come next? Like, what was that process for you as a, a young man getting ready to to uh, embark on that journey of fatherhood? Well, you know, as, uh, yeah, I, I always wanted to be a dad, and I think that makes the difference. You know, mm. some people bump into it. Oops, I'm having a child. Literally, yeah, and, and then they kind of <laughs> grow into the position. I always wanted to be be a dad, and so I took it very seriously. Uh, back in the day when my first daughter was born in 82, um, we didn't have all the stuff to kind of figure out if it's a girl or boy. So I didn't know what it was, it was going to be a girl or boy until she was born. But I have one. And, and this is when um, 
you had deliveries in actually an operating room. Mm -hmm. And what they would do is you'd be on the operating table, and then they had a mirror so that you could, you know, you look in the mirror and you can see, you know, in, in where the doctor was working. And I remember when, you know, you see the head coming out. I got a little queasy. I said, I said, Doc, I think I'm going to pass out. And he said, well, Mr. Ross, just find a little nice soft place on that concrete because we're here working with you. <laughs> so I always wanted to be a dad. And mm -hmm. so uh, Charlene, my oldest, who's a, who's a, uh, a registered nurse, has a master's degree in uh, nursing also. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, I just remember uh, when they put her in my arms, and they said you could walk her up to the next floor where they'll do the tests and all that and give the you know injections and all the vaccination, whatever they needed to do. And I remember just walking down the hall and said, this is my baby. And I was walking down the hall with her in my hand. And, uh, uh, you know, so I always wanted to be. And I, and I have to say that most of my girls probably would, would admit this, but this for them. Uh, that doesn't mean I didn't, you know, uh, enact any discipline necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, but I loved on my daughters, and I think that's the best thing that uh, that a dad can do is love on their daughters and make sure that you know you're helping them grow to be the person that 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 they should be. And um, um, so I always gave them that freedom. And uh, my my oldest daughter, she's the only one of my daughters that is married, and uh, her husband says, "Yeah, she's still a she's still a daddy's girl." <laughs> <laughs> And give, and let me give you a story that that told me things had shifted in terms of the dynamic. So I was on the phone on a conference call with all my daughters. We were talking, you know, and I was laying down on the couch. We just shooting the, shooting the breeze. Mm -hmm. And then I sat up. And when I sat up, a pain went through my neck. I said, ow. And my daughter said, Daddy, what's wrong? I said, a pain went through my neck. She said, I'll be right there. I'm like, yeah, right. She pulled up to my <laughs> And took me to the emergency room, sat with me for like four hours, and took me to the pharmacist. I couldn't say no, you know. Right. And uh, so I got some muscle reaction, whatever, whatever. My mm -hmm. point was that it was that point, and that was maybe, maybe 10, 15 years ago, maybe even longer, about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, so that dynamic shifted. You know, in terms of who's caring for who, who. you know, she was RN and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, that's when I realized that, yeah, OK, that they're, they're going to be taking care of me, you know, because um, uh, I have, you know, um, that 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 connection with them. That as I get older, that I'm sure my oldest daughter is going to be one come visiting me when I'm walking around in a walker or something. <laughs> How are you doing that? You know, she's the one going to check on me. And, uh, you know, uh, I, people say, well, you know, all my daughters are in uh, the medical field. You know, my oldest a pharmacist, my second oldest, who I mentioned to you, had passed away about five years ago in a car accident. Mm -hmm. She was an occupational therapist. And mm -hmm. then the third oldest is a uh uh, pharmacist. So I figured I have somebody to kind of look out for me, you know, as mm -hmm. far as nursing, make sure the doctor's giving me the right medication. And then if my other daughter had lived, she was an occupational therapist, make sure that if anything need to be, you know, any re rehabilitation I needed for whatever. Mm -hmm. And then my third oldest would give me all my drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I wanted to be a, a, a dad. And I don't know if that's mm -hmm. the prevalent you know, interests these days with so many people into themselves that, you know, do you really want to be a dad? 
And uh, so I purposed to want to be a dad. And I really wanted about five kids, you know. Almost, close, okay. Got <laughs> yeah, got four, yeah. Um, so, or one, you know, again, uh, my condolences, you know, on the passing, you know, of your, your daughter. I, I couldn't imagine, uh, you know, just what that, what that feels like. Um, but speaking of, of that, like, as a man, right, how did you process that grief? Um, and of course, grief is ever processing. Like, you're always processing that. It looks different from year to year. Um, the only thing I have close to that is that my dad passed you know, seven years ago. And the grief is different from year one to year now, but it's still there. Right. But, but I, as a man, like, how do you, how did you process that? Well, to be all honest, uh, I'm still processing it. I'm yeah. still grieving. Um, yeah. um, the thing that is, is, there's a difference between say, well, first of all, I'm glad that I, I have had no one say, I know how you feel. There's only two people I know of that can say that. And I'll tell you why. Mm. That people haven't said, I know how you feel. And I, I really fortunate because they don't know if they've never been through it. It's a whole different experience. I've lost a mother. I've lost a father. It's a different uh, type of grieving. And, you, and, and from talking to counselors and other people who've been through this, you never get over it, you know? And, uh, and every day I cry just a little bit because, you know, uh, she's my second oldest. She's the one child that probably, I taught something for a very long period of time. And I mentioned in the pre-interview, I was her basketball coach for four years. Mm -hmm. And so none of my other daughters could claim that, that I coached them in anything for that period of time. Right. So it's a different process. I, you, I don't know. I, I just get up every day and just put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. And things remind me of her every day. Every day when I used to go to work, uh, I would pass by the spot where she had the accident. I passed mm -hmm. by the cemetery uh, in my office. If you look around, if I can show you, I have pictures of her as long as my other daughters. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm con every day I'm constantly reminded of, of her and my mother and my father, you know, so it stays with you. But it helped me. And one of the reasons I, I, I got out of teaching, I was talking with a friend the other day about this, is that it's hard to, to teach kids and you know that they can, they need a parent transplant, basically. Right. And it's almost like watching a train wreck that you know, based on what you see, that if it continues like that, where they'll end up. And that's mm -hmm. a hard thing to do because you want to go to the parents and shake them and say, you know, you have this life that, you, that you're breathing into in terms of the things you do, and mm -hmm. you're just squandering it. And, mm -hmm. and then you're going to have another one? You haven't even, can't even take care of this one. Mm. But, you know, so to answer your point, it gives me purpose and direction. Mm. I know that my daughter, if she was alive, said she would be right in this business with me mm. because she was trying to be an entrepreneur as well. Uh, she had a she, she had a thing, a phrase called the Ross Empire, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so nice. she would be right there. She was my ride or die. She would, you know, just come around. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, I coached her in basketball. She eventually won a championship. Uh, in Georgia uh, with Stevenson High School here in Atlanta. And mm -hmm. uh, and I was glad to have her be a part of that in terms of, once again, letting her explore her interests. Right. So, but you never get over the grieving. And yeah. the, as I mentioned, there were two people that could say, I understand. Uh, and my project was very much, uh, my buildings in the projects were very diverse. We had uh, folks from the Caribbean, folks from uh, Hispanic, um, Jews, Italians, and so forth. But there were two people. One was a white 
uh, a white girl. Uh, she was Irish. Another one was Hispanic. And both of us lost our daughters tragically. One uh, in a, a car accident. The other one, uh, she had lupus. And so they're the only two who could say to me, I understand mm -hmm. what you're feeling because they because they've lost a child you know uh and and as an adult not as a little baby but as an adult right and that's a harder thing when you look at all the potential that that could have been right um, so i haven't figured out god's purpose for that <laughs> i really haven't but mm -hmm. um i probably never will you know but right. um i just try to you know do the best i can every day you mm -hmm. know and, and it's tough sometimes some days uh better than others but you grieve every day but I, but it gives me impetus to say don't waste a moment because you don't know when your time is going to come up you really don't very true and I, I, you know i saw a quote from uh who was it oh uh chris hemwards who plays thor yeah marvel and he was talking about jerry jeremy renner who was in that tragic very tragic snow yes. accident. and he said he's 40 years old and he said you know that situation made me think about that you don't have you don't know how much time you have left and that's the thing that drives me. You don't know. And so you try to make the most of the day, try to enjoy mm -hmm. it as much as you can, um, and do the things you want, you like doing during that time. Right. You know, you just never know if today is going to be the last day. And do the best you can to love all the people who are around you, who love you, and you love them, to try to stay in touch with them and, and take communication with the, those individuals, whether it's family or relatives or folks you just met. So, Right. And I appreciate you. Um, answering that question just because I know as, as a man, you know, with a, you know, with a wife and with other daughters, um, it, it's a loss for the whole family. So I, I know as a man, it's like your job is to, you know, protect them, you know, their feelings. Right. And, you know, sometimes that includes, you know, sometimes ignoring your own and just being right. there for, for everybody else, you know, um, and making sure that they're okay. Um, and that they're grieving and, and, you know, and so, and that they're, they have everything that they need during, during that, that, mm -hmm. that process. Right. Um, so, you know, I definitely, you know, just wanted to see just how you were doing and just how you're processing these things too, because that's super important too. Um, and I wanted to, to, the reason why I'm also doing this show um, specifically is because I wanted to highlight men like you, uh, fathers like you um, who are, who love being a father, who are active in their children's lives. And, um, you know, I know the stigma that's out there on fathers and black men and things like that. And, you know, but I know from, from me personally, I know lots of good black fathers. I know lots of good men. I came from one who's very active and present and, you know, father's day, you know, this month and, you know, definitely wanted to highlight, um, you know, fathers like you and honor men like you who are doing and have done an amazing job raising children. Um, so one, thank you for, for raising some good children um, and being present and active um, in their lives um, because um, that's something that's super important and that's irreplaceable. You know, um, you can have all the accolades in the world, but if you're not a good, you know, if you're not taking care of your kids, you know, if you have them, you know, then what's the point, you know? So definitely just want to say, you know, from one man to another, you know, thank you, um, because that's super um, important. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Of course. So how old is your youngest? How old is my? She's nine. Nine. So, so, yeah, so he went to the fourth grade. So question is both about your oldest, right? What's the difference 
um, between raising your nine-year-old now and your oldest. Like, I assume like, I mean, it's so different now. I, well, I feel it's so different because I, I have friends that have children and, and how they're raising them now is completely different, right? From how they were raised. Um, because everything is different. School is different. What's allowed, what was allowed 30, 40 years ago is not allowed right now. Um, yeah, social I mean, media, everything is different, right? So like, what's that process? Like, what was that process like for you? Not 10, 10 years ago when now, you know, you're like, oh, wait, I'm having another daughter. Like, it's different. Yeah, I think the biggest difference is devices, cell phones, tablets, computers. When I was raising my daughters in the 80s and the 90s, um, that was incredible. The biggest thing they had then was they had, remember the beepers? Yes. The beepers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had video games. And so, you know, um, and all, since having girls, more boys are into video games than, you know, girls. Right. Uh, and so my daughter, Charmaine, the one who uh, passed away, uh, we would play video, video games, mostly sports oriented, like, i.e. basketball games. Mm-hmm. And I stopped playing with her when she started beating me. <laughs> <laughs> because she would take it to a whole nother level. She learned yeah. this cheat codes and all this kind of stuff. Yep. And I'm like, you know what? It's not that serious. I'm doing it for fun. But she was doing it to 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 beat her dad. Yeah. Uh, but she never could beat me on the court. See? Well, <laughs> all of her. So I could just post her up and, you know. Yeah, but yeah. So that that's been the biggest difference, and and school is different. You know, there was a time where you know I'm old school. You couldn't talk back to a teacher, man. Please, you better sit down right. and be quiet. You know, right. raise right. your hand to ask a question. You know, and now you hear these stories about kids just going wild, man. Beat yes. up, man. If you beat up a teacher, you expelled. Goodbye. Because right. who wants to go into a classroom where you've had a fight with a t- with a with a student? How are you right. going to teach that student? You're human, okay? And how do you expect for teachers to respond when you have students being disrespectful? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're asking them to do something that is out of character to humans. Someone right. that has been antagonistic towards you, and now you have to help them learn something? Come yeah. on, man. Where do they do that at? Okay? So that's, that, that, that's the difference is devices and the discipline that's required to do, do the work. You know, to do to to be able to, you know, function in society. It's just you you just can't be disrespectful. I tell them all the time, I said, you know what? I said, you're gonna need teachers to help you in your life. And I'll give you an yeah. example. You're going to college, who are you gonna get to write a recommendation for you? If you're mm-hmm. t- ticking off every teacher and you come in here with attitude, why would I write a recommendation for you? I ain't mm-hmm. doing Right. I'm not going to put my reputation on the line. So, oh, yeah, there'll be a great addition to uh, University of Georgia. Knowing darn well that you're a pain in the butt, you know, well, academically <laughs> challenged, you know, all of this stuff. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I think the difference is the devices, the discipline. Now, my daughter, you know, even though she's nine, had no problems. The, my te- the teacher says she's well-behaved, mm-hmm. great student, and, and that's because of her upbringing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and what we expect that of her. You know, mm-hmm. so I think the expectation, you know, if, you know, I've had situations where I call parents and, you know, they're not surprised that their child is doing what they're doing. I said, so, you know, are you going to give them any consequences? I mean, you know, the last school I was at, uh, I never had a parent reach out to me and say, how's my child doing? 
You know what I mean? Mm. The contact, you know. Um, but if I, you know, and I would reach out to them on a on a monthly basis to see how things are going and let them know what's happening. But they were not surprised by any of the things I told them, good or bad. Because wow. parents know their child. That's one thing I can say. Parents, if you've done your job right, then you know your child. There's nothing anybody could tell you that you don't already know about your child. The one little area that might be a challenge if you, they've never taught their child anything. And by that, I mean, did you ever cho- show your child how to sweep a floor, wash dishes, mm-hmm. wash clothes? That's where you learn how a child assimilates information and then, you know, regurgitates yep. it to show you that they understood how to wash their clothes. Right. And you might mess up the first time or two, so you have to be ready for that. Okay. Right. But the point is to keep it. So those are the things that I think about is that it, it's a difference as devices and the discipline and the focus on uh, education. A lot of parents are not focused. You know, uh, let me just say this for the at-risk kids that I deal with, right. a lot of parents <clears throat> would say they're focused, but they're not really. If you've got three or four kids, man, that's a, you need, having one child is community school. Having two kids is bachelor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Having three or four kids is graduate level stuff. You see what I'm saying? Yes. I mean, think about it. You got three different kids with two mm-hmm. or three kids between each one, different interests. You know, uh, one of the challenges is having a or having an older child and a younger child. Even with my daughters, there's, there's uh, between my oldest child and my second child, there's eight years. And then between my oldest and my third is 10 years. Mm-hmm. And just finding things for them to do that they both can do. So, for example, we, I took the family to uh, Jamaica. And so I knew that my oldest child, she was 16 at the time. So I knew she would not have a lot in common with an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Right. So I allowed her to bring one of her 16-year-old girlfriends with us. <clears throat> Had a great time. And I'm still Makes in touch sense. with her. And and and, uh, and 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 my daughters are still in touch with her. And it's good to see these young ladies grow up to be young, you know, young, young women. Right. So uh, I know that's a long answer to a short question, but no. uh, the key is that you know is you, you you have to you know find things for them to do. Right. But it's, it's different. It's a difference now, and I think parents have to limit the time they spend on these devices. Mm. Have to set boundaries. You know how much time to watch television, devices, read all that stuff. You know because when kids get home from school at three or four o'clock. You got five or six hours. Yep. How are they, they going to spend that time? Now, we used to spend it outside. These kids are yep. not outside kids. They're inside kids. They ain't going yep. outside playing, changing into their, you know, uh, street clothes. So they could go out from having their school clothes were different from their street clothes. Yep. And you don't have that anymore. My kids, when they were growing up, we lived on a cul-de-sac, so they could go outside, you know. And I encourage that, you know, depending on the weather. Put their bicycles out there, the basketball court, whatever, oh. and the other kids in the neighborhood. To the best days, oh. those days are gone. Yeah, we used to play outside. It was it was considered punishment if you had to stay inside. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You, oh, I used to play from basketball from sun up to sundown yeah. on the weekends. <laughs> yep, those things are gone. Kids don't play outside. I remember, like for example, we had fifteen minutes of recess every day at school. Mm. But one day we go out there. It's it's 80 degrees. It's hot. Can we go back inside? I said, well, you can go stand in the shade. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these kids just don't know. It's too hot out here. I said, well, we go inside. We're going to do work. 
You know, right. out here, recess is reset. This is play. We get inside, we're not playing. Exactly. You know, so we had uh, mostly girls would say that, but some guys too. Mm -hmm. They're not going outside, playing basketball, playing flag football or stickball or whatever. You know, uh, we created games, Skelsey, all these things. We created stuff where we mm. didn't have any toys. We created games from the stuff that was around us. So right. yeah, these kids are a little different. They're Very cool. different. And, yeah. and you mentioned discipline. So, I, you know, speaking to some of my friends that, that have kids, you know, back in the day, you know, spankings weren't so bad. You know, like, it, you know, I got them. I mean, my brother got them. My, all, all my friends got spankings. You know, like, it, it, it was what it was, you know, when you did certain <laughs> things, right? And we knew, we knew not to go to school. It's our yapping our mouths about certain things, right? Um, now, these new generation of kids, a lot of them, they're very talkative, right? And sometimes they'll go into school and be like, oh, yeah, my mom spanked me or my dad beat me or whatever. So, you know, and then now you're brought into the office. It, and, you know, and it's a thing now, like now the teachers want to investigate, you know, what's going on, right? That's a difference also in discipline. And I'm not saying you got to beat the kids 24-7, but what I am saying is that we got, you know, spankings and stuff like that, but we didn't go to school. A lot of us didn't go to school and just volunteer the information. I feel like a lot of kids are more vocal and they just say things, you know, um, and not on purpose, but they just say things, especially when they're younger, right? They, they, do you see that playing a part too? Um, and just kind of being like the new generation and like parents have to be very careful about what they do and what they say, um, because if they're in school and the kids say something to a teacher, now the parents are being brought in on, hey, so your 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 son or daughter said this. It's like, oh. well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because it was a period of time when my daughters, you know, uh, would say, you know, I'm going to call defects. I said, <laughs> here's another call. Yeah, I said, exactly. I said, you know what? I said, I'll give you a week in a foster home and you'll be begging to come back. OK, mm -hmm. Um but see, my form of discipline, I wasn't one of those that, you know, hold your hand, whip you, you know, keep whipping you. <laughs> I would tell my daughters if there was an infraction that that necessitated some physical, you know, um, uh, uh, punishment, I'd say, okay, um, go upstairs in the bed in your bedroom, lay face down on your uh on the bed and, and pull your pants down, I'll be up. And I'd wait five minutes. Those five minutes, they had to wait. <laughs> was the most excruciating. They were crying before I even got up there. And I didn't even touch mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the punishment. Then I would, depending on the, whatever they did, you'll get either one or two or three lashes. And after I did that, I never did it with my open hand. I always did it with a belt. Mm -hmm. And after that, they'd be crying. And I would give them a hug. I said, well, daddy still loves you, but you know you broke one of the rules, right? So you understand that there's always consequences. Mm. Uh, and then there's other consequences that demanded that they, you know, had to stay in their room, no TV, none, none of that, mm -hmm. that stuff, you know. And I think parents these days haven't learned those different things that they could do to discipline a child. Now, if you get a child that no matter what you do, they're still going to do it, then that's a whole nother level. Then you need counseling. Yeah. <laughs> then you right. need to get some therapy where, <laughs> you know, you say, hey, don't do this. And they keep doing like something. Let me give you an example. Let's say they keep sneaking out of the house after 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 everybody goes to bed. Well, that's a whole next level kind of stuff, right? Right. You know. So, um, and after you put down your consequence for that infraction, uh, and if it doesn't work after two or three times, then you need to probably get some counseling. Hey, what's going on here? You know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
And a lot of, you know, a lot of parents are not willing to do that because uh, children have to fear somebody. Right. Okay. When I say fear, that means they have a respect. That means that they've got to have somebody that they know that uh, is going to put the hammer down, that they can't get away with stuff. They have to have somebody that they fear. If he, most, it should be their mother and their father. Mm-hmm. Just uh, hopefully it's them or grandparents or whatever. But they need to fear somebody. You know, right. if, if you're if you're uh, you know if you're spiritual, you know, Bible talks of spare, you know, spare rod. Sport sport child. Child. Mm-hmm. And so, but I'm not for parents that whip child, you know, for 10 minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. To me, that's abuse. Right. But then you have this whole European idea of talking to kids. Let me tell you something. I deal, I, you know, I deal with, I, my last school, I had 48th graders. I'm sorry, 48 nine year no, nine, 10 year olds in fourth grade. I see all different kinds of personalities, right? And so you have to be able to determine what's the most appropriate thing to do with that child. And you see different levels of of, of the of the discipline that they have not gotten. Because mm-hmm. if they got it, they wouldn't be talking back to you. Right. You know, there's no reason. If I say sit down, don't say I'm gonna. Just sit your down, <laughs> you know. Like, why are you responding? Because they've learned that from home. And right. I guarantee you, I hope that they don't do that at home. If their mom, mom says or dad says, take the trash out. Okay, I will later. No, you better do it now. I said do right. it now. I didn't say do it later. Right. And you have to respect them. And let me give you an example why that's important. If I tell you to do something, going back to the whole thing about if I say do something, do it. I was in New York with my, my daughters. And, you know, the subway, we were coming down the subway. And our train was there, but it was getting ready to leave. Right. And so we run down the steps. My uh, my second oldest Charmaine, the one who passed, who passed away, jumps into the car. The doors get ready to close. I look at her and say, jump out. Now, if she's one of those ones say, why? <laughs> the doors would have closed, gone. Oh. Eight years old. <laughs> you're in New York City. You're, you know, next stop. I'm panicking. So she jumped out. You see what I'm saying? Because right. she listened to what I said. She didn't try to debate it. She did what I asked her to do. And right. that's what you need to, children when you be able to tell them to do something, they do it. Not because, you know, you have to give an explanation because I said so. Right. One of my favorite refrains from my students, I said, well, um, Kanisha, Kanisha, I want you to move, over, move, move your seat over here. Why? And my classic refrain was because I said so. I don't need to give you an explanation. Matter of fact, if I gave you one, you, you wouldn't even understand why I'm doing it. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to tell you, but do what I ask you to do because I have a reason. Right. But they must be useful for asking that from their parents. If their parents say, take the trash out, why? Boom, hey, <laughs> take it out. You know, I don't, I don't want to have that debate because some things you can't explain to kids at that age. They wouldn't understand. Just do what I ask you to do. You know, mm-hmm. and um, so, yeah, I think discipline and raising kids now is, is yeah, so it's a big difference. It's a big challenge. Yeah. Big difference. So what would uh, but let me finish my other point. So yeah. in the terms of, of, of this European thing of talking, come on, man. You you're you're a <laughs> man. If you hear your parents, see there's a difference between hearing and listening. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're watching TV and your mom comes in and says, Okay, take the trash out, you hear it. Yep. But you're not listening. Because right. if you were listening, you would do what they ask you to do, right? Right. 
And so a lot of times they think that parents think they could talk to them. No, you can't talk to them, especially boys. Girls are a little different. But boys, you got to say, do this. That's it. Yep. And you can't talk to them. Well, Johnny, please do it. <laughs> no, take trash out. <laughs> I ain't going back and forth with you. You see? And I think that's what parents uh, try to do because they think that how they were raised was wrong. I said, well, it means right. you mm -hmm. okay, right. well, I don't like getting whoopings. And I said, well, but you still have to give them a consequence for violating rules of the house or your rules or whatever they might be. Right. And they should know what those rules are, okay? So you have to give a consequence. So whatever method you use, and that's where you have to know your child. Sometimes you can withhold a, a, a privilege from them and they'll get it. Other times, for other child, it won't work. So you can't really sometimes treat each child the same. So right. Another child doesn't need a whooping. You just mm -hmm. have to say, I'm going to take this privilege away, something that you wanted to do or whatever, and then right. he'll fall in line. Others, you may have to get more aggressive with based on your experience with that child. Right, right, right. And I appreciate that insight, too, um, because it's, you know, the, the parenting now, I, it seems to be a lot more complicated. Um, it seems to be a lot more complicated now than it was back in the day. Um, but like you said, knowing your child's personality, you know, sometimes the whoopings might not work for them, but taking away, you know, your, their PS5 or or whatever right. that is for them is worse than a whooping. It's like, you know what? I'll take the whooping. <laughs> Just don't take my PS5, you know. So it, it's like you think you're hurting them, but he's like, man, look, I take this one time PS5, I take the whooping, and then as long as they don't take that thing from me, like, so that's that's perfect. It's knowing right. your, your kid's personality. Um, that's that's super um insightful. So when it comes to the fatherhood in general, like what would you say was your most challenging? is the most challenging or was your most challenging part of fatherhood? The work-life balance. And, mm -hmm. you know, with I'm doing my nine, one of the reasons that I did decide to retire was because I wanted to be there for my, you know, my daughter. Mm -hmm. yep. my daughter. But I think one of the biggest challenges is that work-life balance is, you know, um, I did things that you're not supposed to do when you're raising kids. I started a business. Um, I started my business in, let's see, 86, 86? Yeah, 86, 84, something like that. My daughter was, what, four or five years old? And then my other daughters, you know, um, and, I, and I was I didn't quit my job until 88. But I still had little part-time jobs for about three years until my business got off the ground. I was a producer for uh, what is Georgia Public Television, a PB, uh, PBS station. Mm-hmm. I uh, wrote and things like that. But uh, my other, my second and third year, third daughter were born in 90 and 92. And I opened up my office in 91. And so I spent a lot of time in the office traveling on business and things like that. So I think the work-life balance is the biggest key because if you got a nine to five, you come home, I mean, you've worked all day. You're, you might be tired, but now you have to pour into your children, whether it's homework, extracurricular activities, whatever. And so, you know, uh, at the time I was married, so it was important that my kids, we had to tag team them. I said, you, I'll, you drop them off, I'll pick them up, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Who's going to decide about dinner, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest challenge is uh, is, is that work-life work, work -life balance, 
trying to make sure you have enough time for kids. And and even now, I I wish I would have. I, I spent a lot. I did a lot with my daughter. I was at mm-hmm. every uh, cheerleading, you know, competition at every football game and basketball games. My daughter cheered. I had two daughters that were cheerleaders. I was at every basketball game that my daughter was in. If I wasn't there, it had to be a really big deal. Right. And they understood that. So mm-hmm. I think the work life balance is the most important thing. When you have kids, your life is not your own. Right. Your life is to raise this 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 person, all right, to be a contributing member of society. And that's an awesome responsibility. And I to be honest with you, man, I don't think a lot of people take that seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you have a child. The hard work that it requires every day. You have to think two or three steps ahead of them, man. Right. Get home, you know, they, my dogs would come running to me, daddy, daddy, you know, and I had to give them that time. And, yeah. uh, and you know, having, you know, daughters, you know, you had to give them each a certain amount of time, you know, uh, uh, by themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the key thing. You have to find something that you could connect on that will allow you to have some quality time with them. Because at the end of the day, that's what kids are going to remember. They're not going to remember that you got them the new, the newest, uh, you know, iPhone or Barbie doll or whatever. You know, they're going to remember the time you spent with them. Mm. They're going to remember the time you spent with them. I'll give you an example. When my uh, my second oldest daughter, Charmaine, passed away, mm. and I, you know, as an Amy minister, I eulogized her. Oof. And I remember when I when and that was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Mm. And when I finished, my daughters came up to me, and they were crying. They said, uh, "Dad, we're so glad that you made us take." Because every year, once they got out of high school, when we would take pictures together, it was me and my daughters. And whenever, because they were all in college at, at several different times, and when they were all in town together at any time, we would have dinner and stuff like that. And sometimes I had to force them. I had like, hey, listen, okay, you're coming to dinner. You know what I mean? I had mm-hmm. to lay the hammer down. And they were, she was, they were so thankful that I did that because it created so many memories that they can now tell. My oldest daughter, uh, she was, she's recounting uh, about, she has a different version of how she grew up. <laughs> and uh, and my, my current wife, Felicia, laughs because... Uh, one of her sisters has some uh, a different version of events, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was those was a slave driver. You did that. I said, I'd be shaking my head like, really, you know. <laughs> they had this alternate version of what happened, but then I have to think about when I was growing up. One of my uh, closest memories of, is that I worked in the business. I would every Saturday, my dad would get me up at six o'clock in the morning, and I go work in the business for twelve hours from six a.m. to to six p.m. Mm. And I, I couldn't say no. I had to go. And right. all of us spent time doing that. So I think those are the things that um, it's important to create those memories with those kid, with your kids, because mm-hmm. that's the thing. That's the stuff they're going to remember when they get yep. older. They're going to remember the time, the vacations, the time you spent with them, the things you did, the funny things that happened. Uh, yep. they'll, they'll recount all those things. Uh, the time that you know, dad came to one of their functions and mismatched socks or whatever, or, <laughs> or, you know, or mismatched shirt and dress, you know, and pants, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they'll laugh at it now, but they're probably embarrassed then, you know. So, mm-hmm. but creating memories, uh, I think that's what it's all about because that's in the end, that's what they're going to remember the memories and take lots of pictures. 
Yeah. You always go back. See, I, see, I was at your football game. Yep, I was here. I was here. I took you there. You know, we did this. We went to this. We went to. We was on vacation. You, you can show them the receipts, and mm -hmm. uh, and that's always very helpful because their memory will fade, even though right. they'll, 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 they will, they'll forget. You know? Yeah. Oh wait, that oh, that happened. Like yes, it, it, yeah, it, it did. <laughs> and the pictures is so right because um, my mom was a big proponent of pictures. Um. And sometimes she would force the pictures upon us, um, especially with the guys, you know, the guys, macho, ego, right. you know, she has, she has sons. So two, two boys and, a, and, you know, a dad. So like we all, we all taking these photos and they, 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 they look like jail pictures. We all just sitting here like, you know, like, you know, like we're not trying to get too close, <laughs> you know, like we're not trying to get too close. Like we don't know how to pose with each other, like back in the day. Um, and it was just funny, but, but she would, it would happen religiously. And now looking back on it, you know, like you lose your dad, you know, look, you know, right there, I got pictures, you know, and, and those memories are always there. I can go back to photo albums. I can go back to things and go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so like, you're like, I can completely agree from, from a, a kid's perspective as an adult. Now I can, I love looking back on pictures and I love mm -hmm. looking back on those memories. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's priceless. Oh yeah. Remember, I'm a big pitch. I have, over twenty thousand pictures on my phone, and wow. uh, and 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 their memories, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I it brings it transports me back to when that picture was taken. If I can remember what was going on, sometimes yep. I can, sometimes I can't, you know. Um, but the pictures, I always say, take lots of pictures, take lots of pictures. Yes, a hundred percent. And also from a kid's perspective, when you see your parents get older. Um, it's, it's also good because you get to see or remember your parents in a, a different light. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's something also, because when you start to see that like life going in reverse, right. Almost like now it's like, like you said, like we're going now, we're taking care of our parents and you start to, and you're starting to see them in, I would say a weaker state, right. If they're sickly or whatever the other cases and, and, and you're starting to experience those things. And, that, and and that's for for a kid or for a younger kid. That's a hard thing to see because these are your superheroes. Like these these guys don't get sick, right? It, they don't. Even they do, but it's like for you, it's like the, it this doesn't compute. And when you start to see them be lesser of themselves, you have those memories and you have those pictures and you have those everything. Like for me, I remember saving voice notes of you know I have voice notes of my mom. You know, just she's still alive. You know, but I have. Like if she sent, me, if she left me a, a voicemail, I save it. You know, um, I've saved those things. You know, um, because it matters. Um, because one day, like you just never know. Like you said, you just never know how life takes a turn, right? Um, and so that's kind of how, you know, it kind of helps me out too. You know, because uh, at, at a point now, and, we, and we're gonna get, get back to you in just two two seconds. But my mom, she had two strokes last year, oh, so. Wow. And so she had to have two brain surgeries and this would be the third brain surgery that she's had because 10 years ago, she had a brain aneurysm. So, so now she's a survivor, man, she's a survivor. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so now with these two strokes, like, you know, she's been through a lot of her life. She's breast cancer survivor, um, as, as, as well. Um, you know, my dad passed and that was a grief stricken thing for her. Um, you know, um, so now 
to having two strokes last year. Now she's bedridden. She has cognitive, you know, you know, just kind of kind of disabilities and things like that. So like her picking up the phone and calling me is not an option anymore. But she's bedridden. One side of her body, she she can't move. Um, and sometimes, you know, I I mean, well, I still get to speak to her and, and visit with her and right. things like that. But somebody has to be there for that to happen. She can't pick up the phone anymore, like she did just last year. The call, you know, um, and say hi, son, how you doing? That's not an option. So that transition went pretty fast, right? And so me still having, I, I say that to say, me still having those pictures, those you know, those voicemails, those, you know, how many I saved, that means a lot to me. Those memories, um, like you say, it means a, a lot because, you know, now, even though she's not the same, I still have all of those memories and still have those voice notes and things like that, you know, and kind of adjusting to a, a new normal for our family, right? So you're absolutely right with that. So um, definitely, you know, if you listen, take those pictures, um, with your family, save those voicemails, you know, just, just all those, yep. everything that you can. Cause you just never know when life takes, takes a turn. Absolutely. I, you know, those are the things that, that become important, the pictures and the memories, all those things that you have, you can relive those over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's important. You know, with my nine-year-old, we have a, in our kitchen, we have this, uh, display, and uh, I'm sure you've heard about it, where you can send pictures to it, and it shows them on a rotating basis. It just yeah. shows them. And so she'll, she's nine. She'll see pictures when she was like two and three, and she doesn't remember being in that situation. But mm-hmm. it reinforces that you was in that situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? We were together. We were doing this, skating, or we were reading, or we were at a zoo, or at a festival, or a carnival, or whatever, or we were visiting relatives. It reminds her is that that I that I was there, you know, mm-hmm. and she'll have these memories all her life for the rest of her life. So when I'm gone, because eventually I'm not going to be here, then sometimes having the pictures is all the memories that you have. It help, it transports you back and helps you put in fill in the blanks about. Oh yeah, I remember when we did that. And sometimes you'll forget. Oh, I forgot we did that. You know what I mean? Right. So I think those are very important. Having those picture memories, I I tell parents, young parents, they take a lot of pictures. I said they'll get tired of you taking pictures and take video, mm-hmm. okay, as much as you can. And now, you know, excuse me, you don't have any excuse because it's on your phone. Back in the day, in the in the seventies, we didn't have that. You had to yep. go get a Polaroid or something like that. It was a big deal to take yep. a picture in the seventies and eighties. Now mm-hmm. it's so it's at your fingertips. Yeah, boom, you got it. You know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Creating those memories, those pictures are so important uh, as you're doing, and because you're like I said, eventually, you know, those are the memories that you you'll have. All you'll have is those pictures and those voice mm-hmm. notes and those videos that you now are looking at while the person is still here, right? And like you said, exact same thing, but in reverse. Last Christmas, my girlfriend got my mom the virtual uh, photo frame. Okay, and and I put an SD card full of pictures from her life um, because you know, um, you know, since she had the stroke, you know, I wanted her to remember certain things right. because she has you know short term memory issues now, but her long term memory is pretty good. So I went to see. So I put a bunch of pictures on from like family and friends, and and then you know you start to see like I was like oh. I, you know, I start to see like she's like, oh, I remember, I remember that, I remember this, and I, and I'm like, yes, like I was so glad I had those pictures to, you know, all of them to upload uh, for her, 
Um, and she loved it. And every time I, I, I would visit, she said, no, thank you for putting those pictures. And, you know, because she remembered those things and those things brought her joy, even in her own state. So these things matter. And, you know, sometimes as we're moving through life, we don't really realize and we're just moving and grooving. Sometimes we got to stop and just say, oh, take mm -hmm. the pictures. It takes two seconds. Smell the roses, so to speak, as they say. Um, but it's very important. Yeah. So I, I, I enjoy, you know, pictures. Uh, I'm a I'm an amateur sports photographer, and nice. uh, and so I like to take sports. That's how I got into taking pictures. I always enjoyed photography, but when my daughter started getting involved in events, I started taking pictures of my daughter playing basketball, my daughter's cheering, and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And um, that's one of my little private bucket lists is to be on the sidelines at an NFL or NBA game and be a photographer, you know, for sports mm -hmm. or something. That'd be kind of cool, you know. If, if anybody's going to do it, it's you. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> so speaking of, you you uh, published two books. Um, yeah. My question with these two books, are they still available now? Or yes. yes? On Amazon. Absolutely. On Amazon. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so they're all on on finance. Um, so talk to me about your common sense guide to personal finance planning. Um, why did you write that book? Um, yeah. Why did you decide to even write that book? Well, the, the book is a grew out of uh, a compilation of all my radio scripts from my uh, syndicated radio show. My show was not a long form show. It was two minutes. It was a minute of editorial and a minute of commercial. Hmm. And at its heyday, we were on about 100 stations around the country in about every major market, reaching like 5 million people every week. And so that's where it came from. I took all my scripts and condensed them down, edited them. Um, my publisher saw fit, fit to, to publish them. And uh, I first self-published it. Hmm. Okay? And... Um, and I handed that over to my publisher. And it's really interesting how that book came about. Um, when I had my company, I had like three or four employees. And one of my employees was, was VP of marketing. And he was in Nashville, Tennessee. And he had a copy of my manuscript. And I told him, hey, when you go buy, um, you know, Thomas Nelson books, um, uh, drop off the manuscript. So he literally was in the lobby <laughs> he said, and, and handed the script. Somebody came down and took it. Next thing I know... A couple of months later, I get a call from Victor Oliver, who was the president of Oliver Nelson Books, which is an imprint of Thomas Nelson Books. Anyway, he said, I'd like to meet with you about this book. So I go to meet with him. He, he lived in Atlanta. And one of the first questions I asked him, I said, why do you want to publish my book? And he looked at me and he said, well, Thomas Nelson is a Christian books publisher, if you know anything about them. Mm. Their biggest claim to fame is that they have the biggest, you know, marketing in secular bookstores, not just Christian bookstores. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, we have one requirement of our authors is number one, they be Christian. And number two is that they live what they write about. And we've mm. checked you out. And that is true. And that's the only reason we want to publish a book. Wow. Um, and the rest is history. Then the second time, second book, about two or three years, well, see, that book was in 91, 92. The other one was published in 90. So about three years later, they came to me and said, well, okay, what are you doing? You know, do you have any more books to put? Right. I said, I pretty much shot everything in that first book. 
And he said, well, what are you doing now? I said, well, I started this nonprofit called Christian Financial Ministries, and I've been doing these uh, seminars at, at, at churches uh, focused around my first book, but putting a Christian perspective on it, chapter and verse, that kind of thing. He said, well, can I see the information? I said, yeah, here you go. Yeah, he read it and said, this is another book. I said, really? Yeah. I said, okay. <laughs> and they gave me six months to write it. And of course, I waited to the last month <laughs> and uh, ended up uh, renting a cabin for a week in, in up uh, in north part of Georgia called Helen, Georgia, mm -hmm. and wrote that book in seven days. Wow. All I did was eat, write, sleep, and poop. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I did for seven days. And, and, and that book came, that's how that book came together. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, because at the time, you know, this was a 95, 96, 97, mm -hmm. somewhere around. And I had my radio show. I was writing every day. I had the newspaper. I mean, I was a deal flaw. I had all this stuff coming to me. I, it was hard to take out the time to write. And one of the challenges with writers is that you have to have the discipline to write. To write. And one mm -hmm. of the things I can do is, you know, I can write. And I can write under pressure, you know, Um yeah, you know, to give you an example, my dissertation, uh, I wrote that in six months. Mm. After I finished all my coursework, then I had to do my research, and I did it in six months. And wow. uh, they said that's pretty unheard of. People normally take a couple of years. I said, well, I just just I, every day I would sit down at my computer, and whether one word came out or a thousand words, I would write for three or four hours. Um, and that's what a lot of folks don't understand about uh, writing. You know, writing is a very lonely thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I see why a lot of writers were alcoholics. <laughs> 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 because, you, you know, it's just you and the computer you're, with your thoughts all the time, right? And, you know, uh, I'm more of a nonfiction versus a fiction writer. You know, I don't think I've ever written anything fiction, but um, and so you do a lot of research. And so you're, mm -hmm. it's just a lonely thing. It's, now, these big name authors have people writing for them. I mean, they may write some of it, but a lot of times they have people who are writing with them. And then everybody needs an editor. And that's mm -hmm. the most important part. Um, so that's how the book came came about. That's how the, that was in 91, wow. and, uh, 91, 92. Um, and so that's how that book came. I, I didn't have an agent. I didn't, you know, I had an attorney that looked over my uh, contracts, uh, but I didn't have an agent. But now what I'm thinking of doing now is updating those books, and particularly your common sense guide. And matter of fact, I'm in the process of doing that now is updating it, contemporizing it, um, mm -hmm. adding some things that I didn't have in the first book, which is on, you know, entrepreneurship and that kind of thing. So, um, and I have no time frame for it, you know, just <laughs> write a little bit. You know, uh, every day now I'm taking two courses, you know, at Georgia State. So I, my time is limited. But after mm. July, well, then they have the fall semester, too. So but anyway, mm -hmm. I'm a fine time for it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not in no hurry to get it done tomorrow. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Well, we know you can get it I, done I in seven days. So, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, we know you can get it done in seven days. So, I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's all right. Time, oh, that, time that's that's, that's all, all right. I'm doing. But I'm doing other stuff. <laughs> like yesterday I went out. To restock my vending machines, mm -hmm. and uh, so that was all. That was a six, seven, eight hour deal because we got thirteen machines, and so that took some time out tomorrow. Tomorrow, but today mm -hmm. I have a paper that's due by the by midnight. 
Mm-hmm. So I've got to get that done. So but I'm gonna get back to the vending machines in one second. But um uh, before we get there, um so I know um, you know, you this book, you know, God's plan for your financial success. You've also you know, an ordained minister. So what I want to know is how has your faith played a role in your life? Oh, it plays a big role. Um and I think one of the things that and and is is important for us to have some special time with the Lord, or mm-hmm. what we call quiet time, have that time. And uh, in the last couple of years, I've kind of moved away from that because my time to have my quiet time is normally early in the morning. Right. And I get up I was, when I was in teaching. I get up at about four thirty. Mm-hmm. I leave the house at five thirty. Get to work by six thirty. So it was very challenging to do that. And now I'll be able to get back to that. But my faith is, has been a very important part because I've always believed I've been led by the spirit to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, it's, it's something that you feel is, is happening and you have to just go with it. But whatever goals I have, uh, they have to be big enough. Mm-hmm. I have to leave a little room for God to get in there. Because mm-hmm. I can say I'm going to do X, Y, Z. It has to be big enough to, to frighten me a little bit to say, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to leave the door open for God to do it. If, if it's what I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. then who makes sure it gets done? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, and I think now I'm more spiritual than mm-hmm. organized religion, if that makes sense. Right. That, it does. You know, and I'm studying other things, like I'm studying the, the African influence in Christianity, which has been hidden mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, the black influence in the Bible, the black pre- presence in the, in the Bible. So mm-hmm. I'm on a different journey now at this age. Right. And see, when you get over 65, you start doing things to, to I guess, get you, get you into heaven. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always lived my life... Um, and this will sound a little corny, is no, you know, what would what would Jesus, what would God, what would God have me to do? Okay, and I think that's what's what leads me every mm-hmm. day. So, for example, the two businesses that, that we've created, me and my wife, you know, we know that it's generational wealth because we're leaving it to our kids. Mm. See? And so, as much as I like doing it now, I know eventually they're gonna have to take over it. And I think that's the thing that drives me now. Um, but faith has always been a very big part of my life. It wasn't so when I was growing up. You mm. know, I don't think I went to church. Well, let me put it this way. My parents would send me to church. They didn't go. <laughs> send me. Of course, I'd play hooky with some of my friends and use them offering money to go buy candy and that kind of stuff. But as I got older in my 20s, that's when I got closer to the Lord and uh, and then became an AME minister and was the executive pastor, as you see it, in, 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 at a church. And, and so I think that you have to have faith. Mm-hmm. You have to have a belief. Uh, and if, even if you be- don't believe in God, that there's some design, you know, there's some design of the universe. Because mm-hmm. when you start thinking about that, the Big Bang or any of that kind of stuff, you think about, mm-hmm. well, to create something from nothing, is that even possible? I mean, you can't get your head around it. I can't get my head around that. So, for example, I'm looking around this room. I didn't create none of this, but mm-hmm. this was created out of nothing. Right. And, that's, right. and that's very hard to grasp. I think. Right. 
people who don't go down that path and say, you know, yeah, okay, in the Big Bang, there was certain this, but where did they come from? Right. That that part is the biggest part to deal with. And some people just bypass and say, oh, yes, I'm going to believe by Adam and Eve. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you have to think about the creative design, the, you know, the design of this universe. Uh, the thing about your skin, your skin is, is, is create, was created that your blood doesn't soak through your skin and come out. Right. <laughs> I mean, how does that happen? You know, right. There's a scientific reason, but we were created like that. Right. And so uh, I think that it, you know, my evolution and my walk has become a little more spiritual in a sense mm-hmm. to understand, you know, who I am in this universe, where I fit in and how I could be a, 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 uh, a children of God and make sure that this world is a better place than when, than when I, when I leave this place, it'll be a better place than when I, when I started. And right. I focus on my kids and, and my loved ones. What can I do to, to, to help them along their journey? Because as you get older and you have parents and you have kids, you become more an advisor to them. Uh, even your siblings, I'm closer to my siblings than I was mm-hmm. when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every year I go back up to New York to visit with them for three or four days because I don't know how long, much longer, you know, that I have or they mm-hmm. have. Right. And most of my siblings are in their 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an older sibling who's, uh, uh, she just turned 80. She lives in Columbus, Georgia. And then my sister is 75, 76. So I've got older siblings that, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, at some point, they're not going to be here, and I want to be able to say, you know, I spent time, I spent quality time with them. Right, memories that I'll have of, of hanging out with them and just shooting the breeze or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I, did, did I answer your question. I thought yes, I no, yeah. So, but with the faith, right? Um, and we all know, um, you know, with through scripture and everything, you know, Christians and you know, life is isn't going to be easy. We know this, right? Uh, there's going to be, tr- you know, struggles, you know, mishaps, trials, tribulations, things like that. But do you think um, just in life um, that or has tragedy, a certain level of tragedy uh, affected your faith? Well, and I don't just mean, biggest, you know, people, biggest, people lose jobs and things like that. My biggest mean, like, challenge to my faith was when my daughter was passed. Mm. And I and, some, and sometimes every day I ask God why. You know, because um, she had overcome so many obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember she graduated from University of West Georgia. Well, let's go back to when she uh, was in high school and won a championship, and she had two or three college offers, and she turned them all down. Wow! Because it all but now remember all through her her high school career she kept saying i'm going to be in the wnba i'm going to go get a scholarship and the reason that she 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 decided not to take any of them because she wanted to just be a college student and the school that she attended they always sent at least three or four girls to division 1 women's basketball programs and they would come back and tell us that your life is not your own. You got to go. You got to go back on campus during the summer. You can't work. They mm-hmm. own you. And she didn't want that. And she turned all that down. Wow. It all worked out for her. She graduated from the University of West Georgia with a bachelor's. And then she uh, wanted to be an occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. And she didn't get in the first time. 
So she had to go and take some additional courses for a year or so and then reapply. And she finally got in. And then she had to do residencies in two different locations. And so, so much she overcame to become. And then she didn't pass the occupational therapy test the first time. And we had the counselor through that and she passed it on the second time. And she mm -hmm. had a job as an occupational therapist with kids in, in, a, in a school district. And was just happened. They loved her so much so that when she passed, they dedicated a bench in the school in her memory and put a name on it and all that. Wow. So I say all that, that how that has changed me, if, if for no other, other thing, is that to cherish every moment, mm -hmm. to uh, make sure you can't stay in touch with the loved ones, mm -hmm. and that uh, you're not going to get out of this life alive. Right. <laughs> right. You're all going to have to pass through that. And um, and so um, the tragedy, yes, it, it, it impacted my life. Uh, I loved all my students a lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, I saw a couple of students that loved to, to draw. So I mm -hmm. bought them some drawing pads awesome. and gave it to them. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to react, Terrence. They didn't know how to react. They, they, they said, thank you. But and I, all I said, I said, well, just every day I want to see your drawings. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they would show me and whatever. But I gave something. Now, I don't know what fruit that will bear. I really right. don't care. I just did something that I felt was I was led to do. And I think in a life, we have to do that. If God puts it on your heart to do it, go ahead and do it. You right. don't know how you're going. That's going to manifest itself. Right. Um, it's true. And, 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 and so tragedies can be learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. You got to grieve, but at the same time, you know, what lesson are you pulling out of this that you need to apply to your life? Right. And, uh, and I like to think I try to live every life, every day, not as if it's my last, but as if I'm creating a memory that I'll be proud of. Love and, it. Yeah. And tragedy. And, you know, um, if you look at the bookstore, lost a half a million dollars. I mean, I thought I was going to own two or three bookstores, but that's not what the plan was. Mm. And I always ask God, why? I was a Christian bookstore. I mean, what could be more important to the to the kingdom than having folks reading, you know, Christian books? But right. Uh, but I learned a lesson in business that 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 you need to have uh, a plan B. And so now I have several businesses: a real estate business, a vending business, and uh, I might even start a third one. But <laughs> I'm growing those two. But I'm going to leave those to our, to our kids. Me and my wife are leaving those to our kids eventually. Mm. And so, um, um, and get them familiar with it. You know, uh, my bonus son is, well, mm. uh, came, you know, and we didn't think that we would need him. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was, the, he, he was restocking our machines for a whole year. Wow. Wow. In my little in my little mind, I thought I was going to be able to get off of work at three or four o'clock, and then go, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Okay, <laughs> but see, that's back to my point, though, Terrence. I had to do it big enough to let God get in it. And guess mm -hmm. what? My bonus son showed up, and he did a great job. Wonderful. Okay, and he went out twice a week. Probably mm -hmm. we paid him. It wasn't like it was free, and he probably did twenty hours, fifteen, twenty hours a week doing that and mm -hmm. that was a burden that was lifted off of me and my wife and that was something i would not have anticipated you know mm -hmm. so that's the whole example of you know god getting in the mix learning from 
from something, some things in the past, but I thought I could have the energy to do all that. And at 65, I'm like, are you crazy? What's wrong with you? You know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and your bonus son, um, that's from your wife's. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. So, um, but how was that transition, you know, as far as being a stepfather as well, because, you know, you, you know, you're a girl dad, uh, right. for sure. Um, but how was that part uh, with the stepson, you know, just raising, I don't know if you helped raise, but like, you know, being a part of his life, um, you know, how was that experience for you being a, a girl dad? Well, he's a grown man. I mean, so yeah. he's got his own kids and stuff. So it's a little different. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in him and him being connected with the business in terms mm -hmm. of stocking, it did give us an opportunity to have a dialogue about something. Because if you know about men, mm -hmm. men bond over activities, right? Yeah, yeah. Women... <laughs> Women can just talk. Yeah. Men, you know, they go to dinner. Women go to dinner and talk. Men have to be playing basketball, golf, whatever. Mm -hmm. They're doing mm -hmm. an activity, mowing the grass. They're, they're doing something. Right, right. Uh, and create that bonding. And so mm -hmm. I think that did bond us a little bit because we had something to talk about that was different than just, okay, me being a dad to you. And um, I like to think that helped him understand me a little bit more, um, help him nice. understand that you're eventually going to be left in his business. And we had to counsel him, do some things as far as mm -hmm. customer service and that kind of stuff. Right. You know, but in the end, you know, he did a great job with it. Wonderful. And uh, I think it allowed us to you know, have a little Bond. bonding. Great. You know, uh, he's a little introverted. So, you know, that's a little challenge, but mm -hmm. the time, it gave us something for him to do some some activity for him to do connected us together to be able to do that and that, wonderful and that and that and that was a blessing you know I I'm not in the business Love of discipline he's growing he's thirty eight years old okay yeah okay he ain't awesome. a little yeah, boy yeah, you know yeah right right <laughs> you know, so uh, you know so yeah. that yeah creates a whole different you know dynamic you know he has kids of his own and I I pour into them I just bought a book I saw in the internet called Girl Power. It's a coloring book. So I, I bought four of them, you know, for, mm -hmm. for his girls. And he has all girls. It, well, no, he has, uh, let's see, one, three, three girls. See, one, two, 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 two girls. Abby, uh, one, and, and three sons. Wow. But I had to think yeah. for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but his sons, I think one is like 19, the other one's like 16. Mm -hmm. And then his son was just born about two months, three months ago. Wow. So, so I'm, I'm excited about, yeah, pouring into them. One, you know, that's I'm great. The granddad, that you come over, I'm gonna feed you ice cream and chocolate cake and send you home. Fun, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the sugar high, they up to them. They on a sugar high until two or three o'clock in the morning, right? Thanks, Dad. Uh, yeah. But that's what and, and they see me, man. There was a time when the when the girls were young because the girls are like uh, one is three, one is like two. Okay, mm -hmm. and at first when they were born, they, they when they drop off at the house to come out, they cry and cry. Oh, we! I, didn't cry. <laughs> I said, you know, but and eventually, man, they come to the house, granddad. They, they call me Pop Pop. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. And you could run in, give me a hug. Uh, before they would, they couldn't be dropped off because they mm -hmm. wanted to run and they'd be crying. But That's now nice. you drop them off, and it's no big thing. We got toys for them. Uh, and, and I spoiled them too, like mm -hmm. somewhere, and I can't remember we were at a fair or something. And I had these, uh, you know, remote control cars, mm -hmm. and they wanted to play with them. I said, you know what? 
We went to Walmart and I bought each of them one. Okay, it was like ten, twelve dollars. These little remote control, and now mm -hmm. we go out. We can play. We play uh, the remote control car. It's just something about. And the other thing, and I don't know how this happened, Terrence. I'm a big superheroes guy. Most yeah. Marvel and some DC. Mm -hmm. Right here, I have like eight. If you can see my head, I have like eight to ten uh, <laughs> action figures. Right, they're not nice. dogs. They're action figures. Yeah, and they got for some reason, <laughs> Terrence. They got hold of, of Spider-Man, uh -oh. and Spider-Man is their hero now. I'm like, how did that happen? Well, when they came over the house, they saw Spider-Man. They, they wanted mm -hmm. it all. And so now they've been indoctrinated into the superhero uh, <laughs> fraternity or sorority. As they should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and when they get older, someone's going to ask them, so how did you, you're a girl, how did you get fascinated by Spider-Man and these superheroes? And they have to point to their granddad. They're gonna say, mm -hmm. "Hey, my granddad." That's and amazing. What else are they gonna say? Because they didn't come up with that themselves. So um, those are the things that, that that I think about. You know, um, in terms of I can't remember the question now. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, the original question was about your your stepson. Oh yeah, um, stepson. Okay. Yeah. Right. But yeah. So I'm pointing to them. Yeah. Which is for, which helps him because you know mm -hmm. if you got two or three kids, you're gonna need some help. And so yeah, yeah, they know sure. that I'm gonna be hovering and focusing on academics. Mm -hmm. You know, so um I bought uh, one of the books I bought also was a summer a bridge book for the third year, the three-year-old is gonna be going to uh pre-K, a uh, pre-K mm -hmm. workbook for the summer to learn their numbers and their colors and all that kind of stuff. Wonderful. So I'm that Wonderful. kind of granddad. I'm I'm the granddad that you're gonna have fun with, but also hey. How you doing in school? You know, I love it. That kind of thing. I love it. Um, so the business. So I I know that that uh, you have the vending machine business. Um, and you know how do you go from one to thirteen? Right? I you know I think one is good. I'm not good enough, but it's you know so it's really good to manage. You know one and build that one. How did you go from one to thirteen? And how long did that take you? Well, uh, believe it or not, we went we went all in the first time. We bought thirteen at one time. How did yep. you get the locations? In in three different locations with the same company. This is a company oh. that has warehouses in the same area. If you understand, I don't know in Las Vegas if they have industrial districts yeah. with warehouses and yep. manufacturers. Something. So this company has three locations in the same within like a mile or two of each other, and so. Um, we were able to get that that contract. Uh, it was a business broker, if you want to call it, that brought us in. We met them at a, a business expo, and they had a unique thing where they find locations, and then they sell you the the the, the vending bit, the vending machines, and that's how we got in. We got thirteen machines. I would advise that for most people, right. <laughs> but um, we had the resources to do it, and right. you know we wanted to scale scale up quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, and we did it, you know, uh, effort. I won't say effortlessly, but mm -hmm. it took some. I like I like the, uh, the the art of the deal, you know, putting the deal together, seeing right. it come to fruition, and making it work. And uh, so, yeah, we went in. I would advise people, you know, to buy maybe, you know, it depends on what your goal is. If someone like you is young, I say buy one, buy one, and see how that goes. And because you're mm -hmm. gonna have to work it. You have to go right. restock it. So if you're working a, a full-time job, you got to kind of get, you know, gradually ramp up 
you know, mm-hmm. you could buy a machine from anywhere from six to eight grand mm-hmm. and uh, you're off to the races and you'll make that money back if it's in a right location in the first year. Then after that, it's just profit. Right. So I think that the same thing, we did the same thing with our real estate. We bought one in that one. We bought one pro- uh, property mm-hmm. and then a year or two later, we bought three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we wanted to scale up. Right now, mind you, I'm looking at retirement. So these were things that I was ramping up because eventually, you know, these were going to be the businesses I'm going to spend my time in retirement working on and, and maybe right. scaling up and that kind of thing. Right. But if you're young in your 30s and 40s, you know, do one or two, uh, have a game plan in mind of what you plan to do as far as how this is going to work for you. Um, you know, what's your purpose? Are you doing this for retirement? Are you looking right. to get out of your current job and do this full time? Mm-hmm. You got to decide that. Once you decide that, then the next thing is how much income I'm going to need to be able to, you know, quit my job. And that right. tells you the things you need to do to do that. Right. Sound advice. Sound, sound, sound advice. Um, and the last thing I think I'm going to ask you, because I've asked you a lot of questions today, so I appreciate you being so patient. Yeah. Um, but it's been a very informative show here. Um, husband life. Um, I know you know you're you know you're married to the lovely Mrs. Uh, Felicia Ross, right? Um, what has being a husband meant to you? Well, we're partners. Mm-hmm. We're partners in life. We're partners in business. Um, that's, that's been very, very crucial. I don't think I could do the things I've done without having, you know, Felicia by my side. Mm. She has co-signed on all my crazy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I have to believe because she believes I can get it done. Right. Because, you know, her job is pretty demanding. She's a controller for an IT company. Mm. But you have to date each other at least every week. You have to have time out. And I don't care if you have kids or not, you gotta find get a babysitter. You gotta have time to date each other. And mm. that means going out, doing even as going to the movies or out to dinner, or go walk in the park, but spend time, quality time together. I think mm-hmm. that's uh, extremely uh, important. And um, so, you know, um, you know, uh we got married five years ago. Mm-hmm. Five and a half, almost five and a half years ago. And we started our first business the first year we were married. Nice. And so we hit the ground running. And, you know, uh, it, it requires a lot of communication, mm-hmm. a lot of cooperation, sharing of responsibilities and duties and things like that. Um, so, I, you know, I, you know, it's very important that you communicate. You have goals, you know, to sit down and say, OK, let's see if our life goals are the same. And mm-hmm. so for example, one of the life goals we had is that, you know, we wanted to quit our jobs, retire eventually at some point and, and rent or more importantly, buy an RV and travel the country. Because oh. if you have these businesses, you know, real estate runs itself. I have a my property manager. I don't even see those houses. Okay. I don't even, I go down <laughs> once or twice a year and I just get a check. And with the vending, I can always find somebody to, you know, to stock them. Like you know, my 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 bonus son, um, or somebody else, I can hire somebody to do that. So yeah. that's something that we're leaning into. We still want to do that, okay? Um, we bought a new house. The house we were living in uh, was a starter house, so we bought a new one about two years ago, wow. and we're still working on it. We got somebody down now painting the bathroom. You know, we installed mm-hmm. a 
a shower in there and stuff. So you have to have goals of things that are that are together, things mm. that you can agree upon of what you want to do. And so right now, my focus is on retiring my wife. You know, that's my goal is to create enough income from our businesses so that she can retire. Mm. She works from home and only goes to the office a couple of days a week. Mm. So she's kind of retired, I guess. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Uh, during COVID, we had to work. You know, we have we both have separate offices in, in the uh, in on a house, and um, so we both work 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 from home now since you know I'm retired, and so but we had a flirtation with that during COVID, and we found we can. You know, you know she works. She's in the next room. You know, I work and do my stuff. She does her stuff, and you know. But now in retirement, it's going to be different because you have to gain, change her. I'm saying change, but she's going to be accustomed to having me around, you know, a, a little mm -hmm. bit more, which uh, I guess we'll, in six months or a year, we'll have to get back and see how that worked out. <laughs> but we've had a flirtation with it before, so we know that we can work together in the same house doing our own thing. And, uh, you know, so uh, that's 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 important, you know. So I enjoy being a husband. Mm -hmm. uh, enjoy being a father, um, you know, and I think those are two two positions, two responsibilities that I don't think get a lot of attention in in this world. Because a lot of people out there who are single, raising kids by themselves, who are being parents, but you know, not you know having that other spouse to help them. Right. I think the most powerful. Uh, I read an article uh, years years ago. The most powerful economic unit is a married couple. Wow. You have two incomes and there's not much you can't do if you agree on something. Mm. Even if you're if you talk about scripture, when two come together, there's not anything that they can't they can't accomplish putting God first in the mix. Mm. And we just think hope that 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 we're a, a, a beacon of light for other couples about what's possible. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean that we don't have our challenges, but we are able to overcome them. And to you know, have mutual goals and mutual respect for each other, and and building a life together, and that's that's important. And but I, but but keep in mind, I'm trying to enjoy every minute because I don't know how much time I have left. Uh, mm -hmm. I think she has the same perspective as well. You know, trying to make those memories, trying to do that, being mm -hmm. a husband is, is a is a great responsibility, um, and requires a lot of cooperation. And folks ain't getting married like they used to anymore. No, you know, I don't know why. You know, um, mm. so that's a curiosity, you know, to me. I have a couple ideas, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, think, I know black women have a real problem finding mm -hmm. uh, good mates, you know, because, you know, there's so many men that are incarcerated, mm -hmm. you know, um, so many that are in the underground economy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of women are not going to sign on to that lifestyle. Okay. And so that creates a void. Mm -hmm. But these women have kids, and uh, you know, I you know, I have a real challenge. If you, you know, you don't have, if you're not taking care of your kids, and we don't have a whole lot to talk about, right? So, right. No, yeah, absolutely right. And you know, I think you said it best. Um, and I, I, I think we'll leave it there. You know, um, you are a lot of things. I mean, you are an educator. You're an entrepreneur, um, minister. Uh, you know, you are a leader, uh, father, husband, brother, 
right? Um, you got a lot of titles um, and you carry them well. You've represented men. You represent men very well, black men very well. Um, again, you know, just want to, you know, just thank you for every, everything that you've done for your family, you know, for your students uh, and just people um, in general who come into contact with you, um, you know, and to, you know, be a part of, of your life. In, anything or anyone that you've touched, I know it has been blessed um, and has gotten a lot of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So um, I just want to be a thank. I just want to thank you for being an incredible pillar of the community and also raising incredible uh, children uh, who are great pillars in their community now. Um, and that's all a, a part of, of, of how serious that you're taking fatherhood and manhood uh, and leadership. Um, so, you know, thank you, you know, for that. And um, you are a shining example to a lot of black men everywhere that has come in, in contact with you. So thank you. And I, and I definitely appreciate you. And I, I look forward to possibly having you um, on the show again, you know, we, you, you know, uh, you impart a lot of wisdom. And so I always value that on the show. So I just want to say thank you. And I appreciate you for coming on, on the show. Um, and please, everybody go uh, pick up his books uh, on <laughs> Amazon, your common sense guide to personal finance planning and God's plan for your financial su uh, success. Um, definitely go pick those up and support, um, support Dr. Charles Ross. And I definitely appreciate you. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, I just want to say just kudos to you for inviting me. We, I appreciate the invitation. And you have an open invitation to invite me back. I enjoy talking about the things. That's one of the things when you get older, you, you want to pour into people to, to combine your experience, you know, with your knowledge, which equates to wisdom. Mm. And, and so I'm telling you what I know what I've experienced. Now, what I don't know, what I'm theorizing, these are things I've experienced. And I think that's a whole different thing. And I just wish much success with your with your broadcast and with your podcast and what you're doing. Uh, it's great to be able to have a conversation with another brother just talking about being a man and what that involves. And so uh, much success to you. Please send me the link so I can post it on my social media. Absolutely. So give you additional, you know, uh, views and things like that. But uh, sure. invite me back anytime. I enjoy talking about these kinds of things. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. This has been another episode of Conversation of the Heart. See you guys next week. Peace.